Well, we are going to get started, everyone. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thank you for being here tonight. Um, I want to welcome the live streamers and apologize for my tardiness in getting started. <laughs> um, I know we're having great fellowship in this room, but they're at home sitting there going, when is it starting? So um, welcome, everyone. Great to be together tonight. Um, it's good to be back uh, this week. Um, Scott and I, Scott was originally going to teach, but we switched things up tonight. Um, and so I'm going to be here and he'll probably be here next week. Um, but, uh, I'm looking forward for what we're going to do tonight. Let me start off with a few announcements though, because we have a few things coming up this next weekend that are very exciting. So on Sunday, we have, uh, baptisms, uh, happening during our service, which I love. I think that baptisms are the best. So that's during the service, and it's kind of neat. It's on Sanctity of Human Life Day, which obviously we, we think about abortion uh, in the Sanctity of Human Life, but it's kind of neat to celebrate new spiritual life on that day as well. Um, so we have baptisms, baptisms during the service, but then after service, uh, from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock, uh, we as a church are going to be standing on uh, Route 60 and 82nd uh, Avenue, um, for the stand for life. And we'll be out there standing for, for the issue of life. And, and, um, and uh, we've been there for years. Um, and so that'll be exciting. That's two o'clock to three o'clock. But you might ask, what do I do in between church and then? Well, we thought of that. <laughs> we uh, are actually going to have a little picnic on the new church property. Um, and so uh, you can bring lunch to church or maybe you want to pick it up after church. And you can head over to the new property, which is on 82nd as well. And uh, please bring something to sit on. There are a couple of tables out there, but everyone should probably bring their own chair um, or a blanket or something. And uh, we'll get to enjoy the new property. The, we can't uh, meet on the inside right now, but the bathrooms will be open. And you can walk in and see all of the great uh, work that's been done in there. Um, all the great progress that's been made. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's going to be an exciting Sunday this upcoming week. All right, now I want to um, get into what we're going to get into tonight. Uh, we're going to switch things up this week. Um, but before I do, before I, before I kind of shift our direction here, I wanted to ask a couple questions um, of you all uh, just about the Hebrew study and how it's going, just get some feedback. So first off, and I'm going to repeat what you say for the live stream audience um, as well, so they can be involved in the conversation. But what have you all thought of this study in Hebrew so far? Have you found it challenging, difficult to understand? Have you enjoyed it? What have been your overall thoughts on studying Hebrew so far? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she said, <laughs> again, I'm going to repeat everything just for the live streamers, but she said it's been a blessing. Uh, it's a refresher. She's studied it before, um, and she's been enjoying it. Peggy, did you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, that's so true. She said uh, she's enjoying it, but um, some things are very easy to understand. Some things are more difficult and more difficult to apply, which is so true about Hebrews because it's all about the Mosaic law. And I don't know who struggled with trying to go back to the Mosaic law this week, but I don't think that was many of us. So <laughs> we have to figure out how we take the principles and apply them to our current uh, context today as believers. Yeah, Karen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's so good. Yeah, she said, um, talking about the idea of wanting to worship and glorify God more, um, Jesus more through through the book and the study and how uh, realizing how little. Um, but that's so good. It really is a book all about Jesus. You could say that about every book in the Bible, but um, Hebrews specifically is the the repeated note of the song is Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, which is so good. Let me ask like a, a related question. Maybe this would make somebody want to answer something different, but very similar. What, ha it, and the, you, I've, people have already touched on this, but what has been um, something that's been encouraging to your faith through the book, or what's something that's been challenging to your faith uh, so far as we've studied Something that might have been an encouragement to you in your faith, or something that might be have been a little bit challenging to you. Yeah. Well, I'm hearing things today Yeah, she was talking about the idea of um, this word today that was used in the recent chapters of a sense of an urgency of um, we don't know how much time we have. Today is the day we need to worship the Lord. Today is the day we need to have that urgency, which is so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That's so true. So true. Um, yeah, she's talking about the idea of, of worshiping God, not just in song, but with our lives and how the enemy will try to take us away from that priority, but we keep, keep coming back to it. That's, that's, that's great. All right, great. Well, it's, it's good to get a little bit of feedback. Let me ask one more question, actually, while we're at it. Um, <laughs> this is fun for me um, because, uh, yeah, I want to think about how we can, you know, make, you know, have this study serve you all because that's why we're here. Um, how have you felt about the pace at which we've been going through Hebrews? Do you wish that we were going faster and doing bigger chunks, getting bigger ideas? Do you wish we were going slower and taking even just a couple verses at a time and kind of, I'm not saying that your answer is going to change the pace we go because <laughs> we, uh, you know, are, are trying to our best to figure out, but it's helpful feedback. It might. So what do you, what do you think about the pace? Do you wish we were going slower? Does it seem like a good pace? Are you like, man, they're taking forever. We're only in chapter five. Okay. No, no. That makes total sense. Hmm. Yeah. Good. Good feedback. Anybody else? Yeah. Before it's over, Good, good. That, that, that's helpful. Anybody else? Does anybody like go way slower? One verse at a time. Terry, you want one verse at a time? He said three of the chapters are pretty easy to understand. The others are really a challenge, which is what everybody has said. Yeah. And we got into chapter four and you did an amazing job Oh, that's kind <laughs> that's kind that's kind it, it is a difficult book to to understand good well it's helpful to get some feedback um because again you know we're we're doing this we're putting in the hours to study scott and i to serve you all and so we want to know um what is helpful for you and for your faith so tonight um we kind of switched things up last minute, and so I didn't have time to dig in fully into the Hebrews text. So I'm actually going to switch things up tonight. We're going to go a different direction. And so um, if you have your Bible, you can grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, and we'll go through the end. And tonight I want to do something a little different. I want to take some time to do kind of more of a topical study, although um, everything will be from the Word of God that we talk about. And Matthew 28 will be the main place that we're at. Um, but I've titled this uh, teaching tonight, the priority of making disciples. The priority of making disciples. So let's read Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together tonight and really to gather around your word. And God, as we approach your holy word, the one that we learned in Hebrews last time is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, marrow and joint, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Lord, we ask that it would do just that tonight, that uh, you would use it in our lives, Lord, to show us uh, the areas that we need to grow and to, Lord, not only that, but to comfort us um, and show us the steadfast love that you have for us. God, we, we just, we need your help now as we open up your word. We need your spirit to help us to understand it. We don't want to read into these passages what's not there. We want to see the truth of what is there. And so we ask for your help, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us in making disciples. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, the, the, the title of this teaching is The Priority of Making Disciples. Uh, whenever I was a freshman in college, um, I joined a Bible study that was part of a ministry. And after about a semester passed, the leader of that Bible study came to me. He said, hey, Brenton, we've gotten to know each other well. I would like to disciple you. And I thought, disciple me? What does that even mean? Uh, I really didn't know. I obviously had heard the word before, but I didn't know what he meant. And so I talked with him about it, and he explained uh, what he meant from the Bible and then proceeded to spend that next semester discipling me. Uh, the year after that, another man uh, named uh, Cameron, uh, again, took time to disciple me. After that, another man named Joey. Uh, and after that, um, uh, uh, another guy as well named Josh. Each of these guys poured their lives into my own. And really, we spent about an hour a week together for probably a semester. But all of them really changed my life for the better. All of them, at really a crucial time in my life, pointed me to the Lord. And I'll forever be grateful to them for the way that they loved me, but also the example that they set for me. Tonight, we're talking about the idea of making disciples. My experience is that a lot of terms get thrown around with the idea of making disciples. Uh, I think there's four that come to mind. First, we have the noun disciple, like a disciple. But we also have the noun discipleship. Then we have the verb in the noun to make disciples, right? To make the verb 
disciple the noun. But then we also have made it into a verb to disciple or discipling. And in the midst of that, I think it can, uh, it can sometimes get confusing. What do we really mean by this when we say make disciples? What does it really look like? What does it really, uh, how does it flesh itself out in our lives? So this will be the last time I do this, but I like asking questions. I want to ask you one more question. And uh, that question is, what does it mean to make disciples? But I want to do something a little different, um, if you'll allow me. Um, I'd like you to take a minute and talk about it at your tables first. Ask each other, what does it mean to make disciples? What, what is your understanding of that? Where, what, uh, uh, how, how do you view that? And then we'll come back together and uh, discuss as a group. Does that sound okay? A minute? All right, great, go ahead. <laughs> and I'm just gonna whisper to the live stream here. Hang in there, guys. It'll only be a minute. If, if you're on the live stream at home, you can take out a pen and a piece of paper and you can write down your ideas. What, what do you think it means to make disciples? What's the understanding that you've come to before with that? Um, yeah, use this time to, to really think about that. All right, I'm gonna call everybody back together. I know that's fast and probably not everybody got to share, but hopefully it gave you a moment to kind of process that question. And as we kind of come back together as a big group, again, you, you finish your thought, but as, as we come back together as a big group, would anyone like to share what was kind of discussed in their group? You can share something that you thought, or you can share something that somebody else said. Sometimes that feels safer. So and so had a good thought. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a good question. Um, one thing that I shared is um, you really can't teach people, disciple people, unless you know who you are. Mm. So yeah. teaching when folks who are who they are by teaching their identity and what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, 
That's like the requirement to sit at that table is your name has to be Karen. Yeah. That's so good. I'm just going to repeat. She said that to disciple somebody, you really have to have a firm grasp on your identity in Christ and also uh, the piece of exhortation and being able to listen to somebody else's exhortation is huge in discipleship, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Trust is a piece of that. Bringing people alongside of you and uh, exhorting them. And she said the ultimate example of this is Jesus, which is great. Anybody else want to share? You in the back, so what's your name? <laughs> uh, one of my thoughts was to make it like it's not a checkbox on a one-time affair. Mm. It's not just a certain experience, while that is part of it, possibly. Yeah. Um, but it's an ongoing, continual process to make a disciple that is dedicated to serving Christ and learning more of who Christ is, and that is dedicated to make more Mm. Yeah, that's so good. He's saying it's not a one and done thing. You don't get to a point where you check a box, but it's a process um, that you're kind of always in. And it's a process not only of making disciples, but making disciples that make disciples, which is great. All right, great. Maybe one more. Yeah, sure. No, I'm asking the question. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you're discipling somebody, No, I think I think that let me just repeat and then I'll answer. Uh, she was asking, um, is discipleship the same for everyone or does it differ based on different people and how their personalities are and how they're wired? I think that's a great question. And I would say it does differ. I mean, the basics of it are not going to differ. The, the truth of it is not going to differ. Uh, we're, we'll, we'll get into it and explore it more, but the idea that we are helping others to follow Jesus is not going to change. But I do think it does change very much how we approach discipleship based on who we are trying to uh, disciple. Um, because you could have somebody who is in a season of suffering in their life that you're going to approach completely different than somebody who is really stuck in a sin, right? Um, or uh, maybe somebody who's really struggling with doubt and unbelief. 
you, you're going to approach that differently. You might talk about different things. You might um, uh, use a different kind of resource or go to a different book in the Bible. But also, people are just different too. Different personalities are different. For some people, they're going to love to sit down um, at a restaurant and talk for hours. Whereas other people, you might might much rather enjoy, uh, you know, um, taking a trip to the grocery store with you um, or seeing you in the middle, the, the midst of how uh, you are with your family. Um, and, and so I really do think it differs. Again, the basics are the same. The, the goal is the same. But I think that's a, that's a great question. Yeah. Great. All right. So um, basically what I want to do tonight is, um, and, and I think you all are all right on it already, but I love just having the chance to hear your thoughts and have you process the question a little bit. But my goal tonight is to really just kind of uh, uh, take a little bit here to just kind of try to look at biblically what the idea of a disciple is, then look at what the idea of making disciples is. And finally, just think about some practical things and, and really uh, the priority uh, of this for our lives. So, what does it mean to make a disciple? First, let's look at the idea of a disciple. Now, there's not really like one passage that I think we could go to uh, to instantly find out what a disciple is. But um, Matthew chapter 4 in verse 19, if you want to just flip back, or you can just listen. I'm going to go to a couple different passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, is when Jesus calls his uh, first disciples, Peter and Andrew. Actually, if we look at verse 18, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I think the first thing that we need to talk about when it comes to discipleship um, is really that a disciple is a follower. Uh, a, a disciple is a follower. Uh, within that, it has the idea of also a student. Somebody who is coming under a teacher to learn from them, to listen to them, to follow them, to uh, uh, live the way that they're living their life. Discipleship is uh, really a very Jewish thing. In fact, we only have uh, this great commission to make disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. And the Gospel of Matthew is the most Jewish gospel. It's the gospel that's written primarily to the Jews. Uh, a year ago, I, I just did like a brief read-through of Matthew as a whole, and I was just struck by how many things relate to the Jews. Uh, it's constantly pointing back to the Old Testament and showing how those Old Testament scriptures are fulfilled in Christ. And even really interestingly, uh, at the very end, just before Matthew 28, the author puts in this very specific thing about a lie that was being spread among the Jews about Jesus' resurrection. And we don't have that in the other Gospels, but Matthew is writing primarily to Jews. So he says, hey, this lie is going on. It's being spread amongst the Jews. Let me address it directly and show you how it's a lie. You know, so you can tell he's speaking to the Jews, 
And in the midst of this, he gives this great commission to make disciples of all nations. So discipleship is this primarily Jewish thing. It was the idea that um, there would be a rabbi or a teacher, and um, there would be those who were potential disciples. And they would come to that rabbi or teacher and they would ask, can I be your disciple? Uh, And if that teacher or rabbi accepted them, they would then uh, live with that person. And and again, we see the example in the Gospels of of Jesus really showing us what what would happen, um, not just with him, but what was happening with the Jews. They would live with them. They would listen intently to their teachings. They would... uh, try to follow and obey what they said. Uh, They were really coming underneath them as a follower and as a student, as a learner. Um, It's interesting that Jesus flips the script. Normally, a disciple would go to a rabbi and said, can I be your disciple? Jesus goes to the disciples and says, follow me. I just find that fascinating. It's a little aside, but... I think it really shows of God's initiating love toward us, right? The whole of scripture, God uh, did, did not tell us that though we were sinners and enemies against him, we needed to meet him somewhere to find that reconciliation. He came to us as a human. He came toward us. Um, and again, I think we see his initiating love in the fact that he goes to his disciples and he says, follow me. And they follow him. Um, so a disciple is a follower, a learner, a student. But what does that mean for us today? Today, we can't leave our day jobs and go follow a bodily Jesus around and live with him and listen to him constantly. But we do get this idea that, that we do hear and listen to his words through the word of God. We, we uh, follow his teachings. We learn from him. Our whole lives are, are devoted to following after him. The picture that I think we get in the Bible is that if you are a Christian, you are a disciple. I was listening to a, a, a podcast earlier today about this, and it was saying sometimes people will teach uh, certain things. They'll teach like you become uh, a convert when you first become a Christian, you're a convert, like you've just been saved. But then eventually you move to becoming a disciple. And then eventually after that, you move to becoming a disciple maker. But I don't think the Bible presents those stages. The Bible, I think, is simply very clear that a Christian is a disciple and a disciple is a Christian. Uh, It's interesting, we don't see the uh, term disciple in any of the uh, New Testament letters that follow the Gospels. We see them all throughout the Gospel, uh, this term all throughout the Gospels, but we don't see them in any of Paul's letters. And we can kind of see during the time of Christ when he was on the earth, his followers really identified as disciples. Well, then in the book of Acts, they start to call these disciples of Christ Christians or little Christ's or uh, these followers of Christ, as many people think is a derogatory kind of term. And the followers of Christ took that on and said, yes, we are Christians. And so then that becomes the the primary way that they're addressed throughout the rest of the New Testament. 
But if you are a Christian, you are a disciple. They are one and the same. Meaning, there should not be a Christian who is not always learning from Jesus and seeking to obey him. If Christianity is kind of this check the box thing, or it's just go through the motions, or it's kind of like a social club, I think we've missed it. Are we learning from Christ? Are we seeking to obey his words? Now, discipleship is often defined in different ways. And it's worth mentioning that in the Bible, we see this, term, this noun, disciple, and then we see this idea of make disciples. We don't see uh, discipleship or discipling as a verb in, in the Bible, but they're terms that I think people have come up with that I think are still helpful. I think they're still good. Um, they're just not something you find directly in the Bible. So what is discipleship? We talked about disciple. What is discipleship? Well, I think discipleship is probably most often defined simply as our journey of following Jesus. If a disciple means we're a follower of Jesus, discipleship is our journey of following him or, or the, the process of following him. We could think of it as uh, like with the word friend. A friend describes something, who somebody is, but a friendship is kind of the process of being a friend with somebody. It's this, it, 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 this journey with them. Our discipleship is what starts as soon as we believe in Jesus. We become a disciple. So I, I believe I was saved uh, as a senior in high school. So I would say my discipleship of Jesus started then. My followership of Jesus started then. That's how it's most typically used. It, it can be used in different ways, but I think that's a helpful way to, to, to think about it. So that's a disciple. That's discipleship. Well, what does it mean to make a disciple? What does it mean to make a follower of Jesus? Well, in one sense, we can't make followers of Jesus, right? This really is the job of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is the one who comes to our hearts and says, follow me. Just as Jesus walked up to them and said, follow him, follow me. Uh, really, he is the only one who is able to create new life in us. But the exciting thing about the Bible is that though we see that God is the author of it all, he's the mastermind behind it all, he's the one who does save us, he invites us to be part of it. He invites us to join him in his work. And I think the same is true with making disciples. Yes, ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit who makes a follower of Jesus, but he uses us. And I think we can see really a picture of this and what it looks like in the Great Commission. So um, let's look at this together. Uh, I want to give from the Great Commission six things here that help us define what it means to make disciples. Six things here that I think help us define what it means to make disciples. Let's look again at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Oh, sorry. Matthew chapter 28. I'm sorry. I jumped back to Matthew 28. Yep. Sorry. Matthew 28. Verse 18. 
Now, Jesus gives this massive statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Whatever follows that kind of statement carries a weight to it. Really, there's already a weight to this moment because it is at the end of Jesus' time on earth, right before he's about to ascend to heaven. It's some of his last words to his disciples. There's already a weight to that. But then he says, all authority has been given to me. And so now, what what he is about to say carries with it great authority. So here's the first thing I want us to see about making disciples. It is an authoritative command for us. It's a great responsibility for us. It's a great mission for us as the church. And a question for us to think about is, do we view it that way? Is making disciples something that we think about often? That we think about as our responsibility and an authoritative command from the Lord? Or do we often forget about it? It's challenging. So the first thing is it's an authoritative command. The second thing is that it takes initiative. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the next word he says is go. To follow this command of Christ takes initiative. It takes going. It takes doing something. It takes uh, taking a step forward. And this can often be hard, right? I think uh, a lot of times, I know for me, it can be easier to just receive the things that life is throwing at me. (laughs) Or even when it comes to my faith, just receive what uh, other people have shared with me or what I'm receiving on a Sunday morning. But here, Jesus calls his followers to take initiative, to go. And that's one of the the first things about discipleship that, that must happen is we must take initiative if we are going to make disciples. The third thing we see again in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. So make disciples, that's what we're trying to define. That's what we're trying to see from this passage, what the full kind of context of that, what it means. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The third thing that I think is very important in thinking about our mission at this, as the church and making disciples is that it is a global endeavor. It is a global endeavor. Part of the reason I wanted to take time and talk about this topic tonight is first because as I shared at the beginning, it has deeply impacted me in my life. But also because we are right on the heels of the missions weekend. Uh, and man, I just, I loved that weekend. I loved hearing from all of those missionaries. It personally was so refreshing to me in my own faith, um, so inspiring in so many ways. But really a takeaway for me after the weekend was how easy it is for me to get so fixed locally in my mind that I forget about the global church, that I forget about global missions, that I forget that uh, the gospel and the call to make disciples has a global vision to it. 
make disciples of all nations. And so, when we are making disciples, some of us will be called to go to other nations. That's probably not the majority of us, but some of us will be. Some of us will, will have that call upon our hearts from the Lord to go to a, a cross, cross cultures, to another nation, and, and to make disciples in a place that the gospel just has not reached well. And we, we've seen that, that call on each of the missionaries that we support and how God has really put that call in their lives. But for most of us, our calling is, is, is probably to focus on making disciples here locally. But even if we are endeavoring to make disciples with people here, we still have to have a global vision. We still have to think about all of the nations. So even if the person that I am discipling is somebody who lives in Vero Beach, I need to think about how, as a member of the church, I can still advance the gospel globally. One great way that I just think I so overlook and is so overrated is to pray. To, to pray, to pray for the missionaries that our local church supports, but to pray for different nations around the earth that the gospel has not reached well. Um, we can pray. One thing that was really eye-opening to me after talking to some of the missionaries is I think often we think pray and give, but I think a missing component is having fellowship with the missionaries that we support. And that was really eye-opening to me, is not just to pray for that country or that missions organization, not simply to give financially, although that is very important as well, but to actually have fellowship with them, have a relationship with them, support them, encourage them, exhort them. Um, as we talked about earlier. And so I think that component is so important too. And then finally, give. Financially give so that the, the gospel work can carry on in those different parts of the world. Man, it's just amazing to hear. I wish I could remember the numbers, but uh, Isaac Shaw uh, shared um, about how many disciples they have made um, over in India. And it was incredible, the numbers. Of, of people that have been discipled. And this isn't just people that, um, again, kind of joined their organization. These are people who are being discipled, which is amazing. They're carrying out this vision. So third thing is that it is a global endeavor. All right, fourth thing. Fourth thing that we learn about what it means to make disciples is that making disciples begins with sharing the gospel and witnessing salvation. Sharing the gospel and witnessing salvation. So let me explain this a little bit, because, um, and what I mean here and why, why I've come to this conclusion. Again, if we go back to those terms that are often used today, um, I think what has often happened is that we've um, used the terms evangelism for sharing the gospel and uh, people coming to faith. And then we've used the verb discipling to talk about what it means to then help somebody to follow Jesus better. I think that's helpful terms. I'm not, I'm not against that at all. <laughs> 
I think that's a, that's a helpful way to kind of differentiate it, to think about it. But I think that when we see this idea of making disciples, it encompasses both those. And I'll show you why I think that, but I think that's important to say. Often when we hear to disciple somebody, I think we're just talking about once somebody has become a believer, um, and we talk about evangelism in regards to conversion, sharing the gospel. But I think making disciples kind of has the umbrella over it all. Here's why I think that. I want to go to one other scripture passage. You don't have to turn there, but you can write down the reference. This is Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. And I want, to want you to listen to this closely. Uh, this is Paul talking about one of his missionary journeys. Paul's not talking about it. It's Paul on the missionary journey. Luke would be writing about it. Sorry. So Acts chapter 14, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Okay, very simple verse. But do you see the idea? When they came to that city and they preached the gospel, they made disciples. So I think we can kind of see there the idea that they came to a place, they shared the gospel, and they made disciples. So thus, the evangelizing and people coming to faith has to be part of that idea of making disciples. The second reason, I think, is because of Matthew 28, where we see it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is what follows conversion. When somebody believes in the gospel, we baptize them. And so I think that him in, including the baptism is implying that part of this making disciples is sharing the gospel, witnessing people coming to faith, and baptizing them. So that's, that's my argument for, for why I believe that, um, that it includes that as well. The fifth thing, though, is that it involves baptism. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love this. Uh, he says to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism is uh, the command that Jesus, and, and is so clear throughout the Bible, is given to those who have come to faith in him. We don't believe that baptism is what saves you. Uh, we don't believe that. But we do believe that it is what is commanded after faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Um, that it is one of the first steps that is natural to take. Maybe, though, uh, someone is here who has placed their faith in Jesus, become a Christian, but has never been baptized. Maybe uh, that just simply wasn't taught, uh, that, that that is part of what Jesus commands. Well, really, it is. It's very clear right here. And if that's you... We're baptizing people this Sunday, <laughs> and we would love to have you. We, we would love to have you. We, uh, you can talk to one of the pastors. We would want to make sure you understand what it means to be baptized first, of course, before doing it. That is very important. Um, but as long as you understand what it means and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, we would love to baptize you this Sunday. So um, I'm sure many of you here have been baptized before, but if you haven't or if you know somebody who hasn't, um, we would love to do that. But again, this is essential that 
making disciples, we are sharing the gospel. I intentionally phrase it that way that we would witness salvation because again, our part is to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit's part is to draw that person to faith. Um, so again, we share the gospel, we witness salvation, we baptize. And then finally, verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The sixth thing and final thing we learn here is that discipling involves teaching others to follow Jesus. Now, this I think is really the crucial point. You probably were on track with all those other things up until this point about what it means to make disciples or I think those other things might come to us more naturally. This one I think does not. So uh, making disciples involves teaching others to follow Jesus. I think this is the part that is surprising to people because I think we might naturally think, no, our pastors teach people to follow Jesus. <laughs> Not us. We might uh, serve. We might bring meals. We might uh, show hospitality. We give. But helping people spiritually follow Jesus better, that's the pastor's job. But I think from this passage and many others, it's very clear that the church is to do that with one another. That we are actually to all help each other in our following of Jesus. That's key to making disciples here. I, I, want, I want you to see too, um, it doesn't just say teaching them what Jesus commanded. That's one thing is to teach somebody what Jesus commanded. But it's a different thing to teach them to observe what he commanded. Uh, that, that word observe there, it could be translated as to keep. It could be translated, um, I like the NIV translates it, to obey. Uh, the NASB, I believe, translates it to follow. So again, teaching somebody a command and teaching somebody to follow a command are two different things. Right? You can teach your dog to sit, but to teach your dog to follow the command to sit is a different thing. It's a bad example. I don't want to compare us to dogs. Um, to teach somebody a recipe is one thing, to give them the outlines of what's, what to do. But to actually teach them how to do it might be a different thing. You might need to show them. I'm not a cook, so I really this was a bad example as well. But you might need to show them how to do certain things, how to whisk it a certain way or when something is done. Right? There's more to it than just knowing the recipe. You're actually teaching them how to do it. And I think this is huge in Christian discipleship. That we don't simply tell people what Jesus has commanded, but we are actually to help them in following it. We're to come alongside them. We're to say, hey, I know that Jesus has uh, commanded us to pray. Let's say something simple, to, to pray. Uh, to bring our request before him. I really struggle to pray. Having somebody come alongside you, the person who says that, and say, you know, to teach them what Jesus said would just be, say, well, Jesus said to pray, so come on. But to teach them to follow that command is going to look completely different. It's, it's probably going to look like, let's go pray together. 
Let's set up some regular meetings where we, we're, we're constantly praying. We can invite other people in it. Let's send each other some text reminders where, uh, to, to pray throughout the week. Let's, uh, let's uh, share prayer requests between one another so we're reminded of different things to pray for. Let's do a study on prayer in the Bible that informs how we pray. Let's study the Lord's Prayer. It's going to look a lot different than, hey, you know, you should really pray. Jesus said that. That's where I think uh, this idea of making disciples is so key and why we need it, because we need other people to walk alongside of us. I think that word teach can throw us off, teaching them to obey. We think, uh, well, pastors, elders, they teach. Others in the church that have the gift of teaching teach. But we all teach. There is teaching in a formal sense, which in the church is pr the primary responsibility of pastors and elders, but we all informally teach. Um, I, I learn things all the time from people. Um, I, I was learning, so Erica was teaching me last Sunday about these <laughs> boxes in the floor, right? She's not a teacher, but she's sharing what she knows. She's sharing her experience. And she's teaching me. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. Bob has taught me so much about the banjo <laughs> that I didn't know before, or even bluegrass music. Again, he's not a teacher, but he's just sharing what he knows. He's sharing his experience, and I'm learning. We're teaching each other all the time. We teach each other about the best restaurants in town and what to order there and uh, what to get. We teach each other about the news and what's happening, politics. We teach each other... Uh, about uh, the latest celebrity stories. We're, we're, we're constantly sharing our experiences and what we know with each other. Um, I want to give a couple verses to kind of show you this idea. Um, I'm going to go through a lot, so please don't turn there, but you can write them down if you want. But I want to show you this idea that there is a sense of this word teach or instruct that is not the formal teaching that pastors do, but is to be done among us as a church. Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Again, they're instructing one another. Hebrews chapter, I mean, sorry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, the whole passage kind of speaks about this. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. He gave all these offices to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's significant in and of itself. But it continues... In verse 15, that we are to speak the truth in love to one another. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Again, at the end of verse 16, makes the body grow so that the body, the church, builds itself up in love. Let me give you another. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Again, the idea of sharing truth with one another, speaking truth with one another. 
This one is a great one. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Very clear there. Speaking to the church as a whole, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as a church. And you are going to teach and admonish one another, right? Well, we're talking about exhortation and, 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 and even admonishment to one another. It says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So there very clearly is this idea of us teaching one another um, in the church. But there's also this idea in discipleship of somebody uh, taking somebody along and having them imitate them. So let me, let me step back. When we're thinking about making disciples, we're thinking about helping others follow Jesus. Uh, really, we have this, this idea of um, we are helping them to follow the commands of Jesus. But really, what that often looks like in practicality, I think, is that one believer is inviting another believer to imitate them, to imitate their faith. And we see this all throughout. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And I've got a bunch of others, but I'm not going not to go there. But this is often how it happens, is that we imitate another believer. We see their faith. We see their life. And, and, and we learn to follow Christ by watching how they follow Christ. Let me close with this. Um, in the ministry I was involved with uh, in college, the, uh, one of the guys used this illustration of the church being like a hospital. And I think that was a great illustration because Jesus said, I have come uh, to save those um, in need of a physician, not those who are healthy. And really what he's getting at, I think, is those who think they're healthy. He's come to save those who recognize their need. But anyway, it's a great illustration, like the church, like a hospital. And what he say is, if you ever spent any amount of time in a hospital, um, fortunately, I know many of us have, you start to learn where things are, right? You find out where the room is with the really bad coffee. You find out where the best vending machine is. You find out who the best nurses are, who you can go to and are, are going to really help you out. You learn your way around, right? Well, what he said is discipleship is really like we're all in the hospital. But I've been here a little longer than you. I know where the coffee room is with the bad coffee. I know who the nicest nurse is. Come, let me show you. That's what discipleship is like. It's not that, that we are, um, have to impart uh, the greatest wisdom to a fellow believer, and I could never be ready to disciple somebody because I don't know enough, and I, I don't, uh, I, I, I'm not ready with all the teachings of Christ to present them in this certain way. I think the picture is more like the hospital. It's, hey, I've been following Christ for some years now. I've made some mistakes. I've, I've, I've found out some things that are really helpful. Walk with me. Let me show you. That's the picture of discipleship. We're teaching one another out of our own experience. 
out of, out of what it means um, to follow Christ. This can be done informally and formally. I think the principle is what we're going for. We're going for the principle of helping others follow Jesus, but this can be done informally or formally. Informally can be so simple. Uh, I remember reading a book called Discipling uh, by Mark Dever. That was a, it's a great book. Um, and he uses the example in it of, you know, a mom ha- uh, with young kids having another mom over. And maybe she gets upset and she uh, speaks to one of the kids in a way she shouldn't have. But then she has to have a real moment of uh, repentance and saying that was wrong. Let me apologize. And having another mom over, over and see that can be so instructive, right? It's not that she's teaching her something specific or they're sitting down at a coffee shop and they're going through a Bible study, but she's seeing her faith at work. She's seeing real repentance and uh, coming before God and, um, and looking to the Lord, even in the littlest situations in life. And so it can be very informal. It doesn't have to be planned. But it can also be formal. It can also be, uh, hey, let's get together at this restaurant once a week. Let's get together every other week. Um, and let's, let's go through a book of the Bible together. Uh, there, there's many different ways, and, and this would be a, 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 some of the practical stuff we could go through at a different time. But I, th- I think there's many different ways of uh, helping somebody follow Jesus. Again, everybody's in a different life situation. You can go through a book of the Bible. You can use a, a, a book uh, written by a good Christian author. Uh, you can even just practice things together, like reading the Bible together, praying together, sharing your faith together, um, thinking about fellowship together. Um, but the point is the principle. And I think knowing yourself. Some people are just better at others at living in that informal, helping others follow Christ. They're great at just calling somebody up and speaking to a need in the moment. They're great about pulling somebody aside and having a conversation in the moment. But others of us, me included, are not great at that informal and need some more formality, right? That would be the goal. That's the goal to get there, to just for it to be the outflow of who we are. But when you don't just naturally do that, the formality can help. To, to set a meeting once every other week and to say, hey, let's get together, let's talk about spiritual things can help shape and form us, I think, in a really helpful way. And so the last thing I'd leave you with is, is know yourself. How do you operate um, in, in that making disciples, helping others follow Christ? Do you need some more formality? Or maybe you need less. Maybe, maybe you're at a season in life when you don't have the time to give to a weekly meeting or every other week meeting. But you know that there are informal ways that you can do that as well. Why do we make disciples? We make disciples for the glory of God. For his glory. To make followers of him who want to glorify his name. We make disciples for the benefit of other believers. And we make disciples for the benefit of our own souls. We often learn just as much, if not more, in discipling than even when 
maybe the person that we're discipling. So, if you have intentionally helped others to grow spiritually in the past, but maybe you're not doing that right now, who's one person that you could think about to do that with? Part of the reason I wanted to do this teaching is because this is a great passion of mine, and yet it's something that I feel like I haven't been doing. And so I'm preaching to myself just as much now as all of you, uh, reminding myself of this. If you've done this in the past, who's one person that you could do this with now? But if you've never done this in the past, you don't even have an idea or a framework of what a more formal discipleship might look like, or maybe you haven't even been able to identify and informally somebody helping you follow Christ, I would ask somebody to disciple you who's done it before. Say, hey, that can be the hardest thing is asking somebody else, and yet people want that. People want to be able to pour into other people. They want to be able to share their experience, their wisdom. And so who could you ask to disciple you? That's what I leave you with today. I hope that we can think together as a church family about the great priority that Jesus has given us for making disciples. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you so much for this evening. We pray, God, that you would impress upon our hearts the great priority that we must have as a church family of making disciples, the great example that you have set for us in this. Pray, Lord, that we would, um, that we would know the authority with which this command comes. God, I pray that you would show us how we might take initiative. I pray that you'd give us a global vision for discipleship. I pray, Lord, that, that we would be eager to see people come to faith in you, sharing the gospel, witnessing salvation, that we might baptize them and rejoice at what you've done in their lives, and that we might teach one another how to help follow you, because we desperately need that. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that you'd use it in our lives tonight and onward. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.